Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. All right, so tonight I'm going to be talking about what we do all the time, um, interceding and just casting um, fresh, just kind of bringing us back to the vision of what we're doing, why we're doing it, um, but especially focusing on our calling as friends as a bridegroom and what that means um, in relation to what we do here every day. Um, So... Before we begin, I just want to pray real quick. And Jesus, we love you. We welcome your presence, Lord. Would you draw us deeper into the knowledge of your heart? Would you give us greater understanding of the way you feel? And would you bring us deeper into friendship with you? I would ask that you would reignite our hearts in deeper love for you and in fresh vision. Lord, would you help tonight in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, so first of all, we're, we're a forerunner ministry. All of our teaching notes always say forerunner school of ministry. And part of like the core identity of being a forerunner is being a friend of the bridegroom. It's being a, um, a friend of the bridegroom who desires to see Jesus get what he wants and to prepares the way for him to have um, the desires of his heart for him to come back um, and then have that the bride and so there's there's a whole bunch of different aspects of what it means to be a friend of the bridegroom and a lot of the things that are highlighted related to being a like a foreigner forerunner is the messaging aspect and um like voices crying in the wilderness, Isaiah 40, preparing the way of the Lord. But there also is aspect of preparing of the way of the Lord, preparing the way of the Lord, in the secret place in in the corporate prayer room as well, of um, preparing the way of the Lord through intercession, which has several dynamics. I mean, some of it is in that place being formed as a messenger, and another is. Um, in that place of preparing the way of the Lord in prayer is praying for the ground to be like fruit, fruitful soil and for the Lord to raise up those anointed messengers. But then there's also the aspect of just straight up praying for the Lord to do what he's going to do um, and, you know, bring forth the, um, his purposes, his kingdom on the earth as in heaven. Um, so there's a lot of things that are close to the heart of Jesus, but nothing, I, I mean, other than the Father, Jesus's love for the Father, I don't think there is anything that's so close to his heart as his love for the bride. And so kind of the f- focus is that I, I don't, to, to see Jesus have his inheritance in the church, and part of that is to see as many brought in to the bride as possible, and then part of it is to... Um, see the church come to maturity and into the fullness of her destiny in the Lord. So it's kind of, you know, covers a lot. There's so many ways that being a friend of the bridegroom impacts intercession, but I just kind of want to, yeah, focus on that today. So one of the things, like, with with friendship is that what matters to, to your friend 
starts to matter to you. And especially when it's Jesus, his visions are so glorious, his desire, his dreams are so glorious that like what he's wanting is sure to win your heart over if you love him, you know? So it's, it's letting what, um, what matters to him, like in the place of friendship, letting what matters to him become what matters to you and then um, giving yourself to that. Um, and so really the motivation of being a forerunner is to prepare the way of Jesus, um, or the motivation to labor as a forerunner and to labor as a friend of the bridegroom is the desire to see Jesus receive his inheritance and to receive his bride. So one of the premier example of being a friend of the bridegroom is John the Baptist. I think he's the only individual in scripture who's like clearly explicitly um, called a friend of the bridegroom. Um, and so in John 3, actually 20, uh, 28 and 29, he said, you yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. And so the, in the, this context of John calling himself a friend of the bridegroom, people are, Jesus's ministry is taking off and people are going after him. And he's been asked like, why are you let you know? How do you feel about this? Why do you are you letting this happen? And he's like, no, Jesus has to increase. I must decrease. Um, and he has this phrase: "The bride belongs to the bridegroom." And so, that was his vision of getting the church, or at that point, not the church, but I mean, ready to become the church, whatever. Um, so, getting the people ready for the bride, bridegroom to in, to receive the bride. Um, that Jesus would receive his bride. And so he, his vision was all towards giving all that he has in all his life in order to see Jesus receive his inheritance. And it wasn't about his own ministry, his own whatever, his own dreams. His dream was to see Jesus have his um, desire. Um, and so that was his ambition. So um, I kind of want to highlight that point as, I mean, obviously he was, he was the voice in the wilderness crying out, and so um, there is definitely a, a huge messaging um, aspect to his life, but he also did, like, that was the drive um, of why he did what he did. And he rejoiced um, when he saw Jesus having what he wanted and what he um, deserved. So another example I um, think of, of a friend of the bridegroom is really Paul. Um, he isn't like explicitly called a friend of the bridegroom, but his life and the way he wrote, wrote and the way he prayed um, very much uh, shows that he carries this heart. Um, 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3. Paul said, I am jealous for you. With, God, with the godly jealousy, I promised you to one husband to Christ, so that I may pre, might present to you, might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds might maybe may somehow 
be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so here he's saying he's jealous for the, for the church to be that pure virgin presented to Christ. And he, um, he's jealous to see the church walk in purity and holiness and the fullness of what Jesus wants. Not only that he would have his bride, but that she would be all that he desires um, and intends for her to be. Um, and then another part, I think another verse, there's, I mean, the whole way Paul lived his life and just gave everything is very, like, he was all in to give, to lay down his life for Jesus and had this vision of bringing as many people as possible um, into the kingdom of God that uh, as many people as possible would love Jesus. Um, but in this, uh, top of page two, in Second uh, Corinthians eleven twenty seven and twenty nine, it's a little later on, and and um, Paul's talking about all the difficult things that he went through in his life and how he's he, he talks about how he was shipwrecked and and beaten and imprisoned and all these things. Um, he, and then the, the, that's kind of before these verses. But then it says, I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I, daily, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. So he talks about all his persecutions and everything that he went through just in preaching the gospel, but he says, like, besides all of that, and even um, New King James is, like, on top of all of this, um, like, this was, like, as if a, a greater concern in his heart than all the external pressures of was his passion and zeal to see Jesus um, have the church in the fullness of, um, like, not the church not being weak and not being led into sin. Like, that was his passion to see the church um, be all that Jesus wants. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go and see on, on page two. Um, so in John 15, so I'm going to kind of bring it into just how... Um, how Jesus invites us into partnership with him and um, we're like we're part of the story. It's not just John the Baptist and and Paul and all the people in the his in history, like especially leading up to Jesus' return. Um, we're definitely um, friends of the bridegroom. We're called to be that. So in John fifteen, fourteen through fifteen. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. So here Jesus is defining friendship as obedience to him, but part of the obedience is not just being a merely a servant but a friend who understands his, like the what Jesus is about who understands his business um, and, and um, yeah because he says um, 
like I've called you friends because I've made everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you and he's because he's revealed his heart and his purposes Jesus did only what he saw the father um, doing and he reveals this to us and then there's invitation are we going to do what he you know do what he commands and partner with him so he defines partnership as um, walking in agreement with him and laboring with him for his purpose to be brought forth. Some of it is obvi- the obvious like obedience in walking in righteousness, but part of it is obedience in walking it out um, in partnership with him. Um, so now I kind of touched on, you know, that Jesus's vision is for or Jesus's desire is for his right above anything else. I mean, that's where he's leading, in regards to like what he's, where he's leading history and such, like he will rule over the nations and that will be glorious. But I believe that the main thing on his heart is to do that with his bride, with his people and not just that he was power hungry and wants to rule over the nations all by himself. That's not his desire. You know, he, in Revelation 24, it talk, 20 verse four, and talks about you know the saints reigning um, with him, and so when Jesus is like, what he's looking forward to most is the church, is the the wedding day, and the, being united with his bride. So um, I want to talk a little bit about Jesus's vision for the bride. Like, there's something that comes into his mind when he thinks about what the bride will be like on the wedding day. There is. Um, dreams in his heart, there's plans in his heart of how he's going to get us to that place. Um, and really his desire is not to just get a redeemed people, but to truly have a, a spotless bride that fully loves him and is fully in agreement with him, that's ready for him, conformed to his image. Um, and so there's a lot of scriptures that give detail of what it looks like for the church to um, come into her fullness. And they also, the scriptures do provide, like, not only does Jesus have a vision, but like in Revelation 19, 16 through 8, it talks about um, the bride on the wedding day. And like, Jesus is going to have his vision and his desires. So it's not like this is just a hope and a dream, but like he's going to have it. Um, but what, part of his vision, just like a overall, uh, John 17, 24 and 26, Jesus said, Father, and this was the night before, he, or the night he was arrested and when he was, you know, looking towards the cross, what, what he was going towards, um, he said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. So like Jesus wants his bride to be with him where he is and to behold his glory and to love him like the Father does. Um, that the love that the Father has for Jesus would be in him or in us. And then Revelation 19, 6 through 8, 
Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God, almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So the bride's seen there on the wedding day, um, the marriage of the Lamb, and is... um, you know, is made ready. And so that's that's the vision of where things are going. Um, so part, I want to just talk through a f- some of the aspects of what it means for the church um, to come into the fullness of um, who she's meant to be and also, like, um, like, what it looks like for the church to be made ready. Like, the aspects of Jesus' vision, obviously they're not... The fullness, like there's so many things he has in his heart um, and so many other things in scripture, but I just want to point out a few things. Um, one, of it, um, one of the points um, is that the church will be in, uh, brought into maturity and in love, like loving Jesus wholeheartedly with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, in John 17, that the love that the Father has for Jesus, that that love would be in us. Um, and then that, you know, that strength of love, um, Song of Solomon 8, 6 and 7 talks about that love is strong as death, its jealousy is unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of, his, of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. And so part of this provides some language for like what maturity and love, like the, the fiery, passionate um, love that the church will be walking in. And I mean, not to at all speak, like the church is walking in a level of love for Jesus right now. That's, I, I'm not saying like it's, but anyways, like it's going to the deepest level possible of um, like maturity and love. That's where the Lord's bringing us. So Jesus has a vision um, to bring us into maturity and love, and he's a jealous bridegroom. <coughs> Who is zealous to have the br- a bride he's wholehearted in love. So um, like that matters to him. And some of the aspects of the church walking in maturity and love is Philippians 1.10, being sincere and without offense. Revelation 12.11, <coughs> loving Jesus more than our own lives. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, um, doing everything out of love for Jesus. There's so many things, but of what maturity and love and how it works out. Um, those are just <laughs> just a few things I want to highlight. <coughs> then another aspect of the church coming into maturity and being ready for Jesus is being a pure and spotless bride. 
Um, Ephesians 5:27 talks about the church being presented to Jesus with, without spot or wrinkle as a glorious church, radiant church, without blemish, holy and spotless. Um, so Jesus has a plan to perfect and sanctify the church that we would come into this um, like Jesus, this is Jesus has a vision for where we're gonna go um, in Him, and and He's gonna bring us into that. And so, um, yeah, Revelation nineteen eight says um, talks about the bride and walking in righteous acts, being clothed with fine linen that's bright and clean. Um, representing the righteous acts of the saints. So the church here walking as like a pure and spotless um, bride. There's an aspect of the church is walking in like the purity of the white garments and like being free of compromise and um, like being, say no to sin and say no to other lovers. But then there's also the aspect of clothed in white garments that represent the righteous acts. So not only say no to the works of darkness, but also um, walking in the righteousness of Christ. Um, so there's an aspect of we're justified right now by the blood of Jesus when we um, repent and put our trust in him and believe in him. But there's an aspect of he's going to sanctify us and clothe us with righteousness that we would be conformed to his image and not just be... Um, that it wouldn't just be the imputed righteousness, but that he would he would bring the transformation. Um, so that's where he's bringing the church. This is his vision for the church. Um, another aspect is that um, it's from every tongue and tribe. Um, so in in a, in uh, Saul Isaiah in Isaiah forty nine verse six, it talks about. It's too small of a thing for Jesus just just to receive Israel as his inheritance. That he, it's only right that he would receive all the ends of the earth as his possession. So Jesus's desire and where he's bringing the church to be made um, ready for him. Like the church won't be ready until there's people from every tongue and tribe, and the gospel um, has gone into all the earth. Um, part of it, I mean, in. Uh, Matthew 24, I forget the verse right now, but um, it talks about like that the gospel will be preached in all the nations and then the end will come. So part of Jesus' vision is, as is shown in um, Revelation 7, is every tongue and tribe being brought in, loving him, and being his. Um, another aspect of Jesus's vision for the church is that we would walk in unity before um, part of his John 17 prayer again the night before he went to the er, went to the cross that he prayed that we would all be one as he and the father are one um, and that we would um, walk in walk in unity with one another as well as with him um, so part of the church coming to maturity is walking in unity, loving one another. Um, yeah, and then finally, maturity in partnership. <coughs> so, 
So Jesus has a plan to bring us to a place of maturity in partnership with him. There's going to be a time, you know, when he comes back that the church will be walking in like the biggest um, a level, largest level of partnership imaginable, you know, ruling and reigning with Christ. And there's going to be such a great level of partnership, but the church isn't going to go from like barely, barely partnering with him to all of a sudden when he comes going to enter into her identity. It's like the Lord's causing us to grow up into that. And as the church matures in the end of the age, he's going to um, bring us into that deeper level of partnership where the, we'll walk in um, more of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and see more sign, signs and wonders and see um, bold, or just receive like the grace for boldness on the proclamation of the gospel. Um, like as we, as, as the church stays, um, like through that, um, yeah, just as, as the church leans into Jesus through the coming days, like he's going to give us grace to partner with him and to see him walk, um, work mightily in us. Um, and so part of it or John 17, John 14, 12, where he talks about that he who believes in him would do greater works. Um, yeah, so the church coming into maturity and partnership with him, walking in unity with him, and doing the works of his kingdom, backed by the power of the Spirit, is part of uh, Jesus' plan for the church. So before really hitting um, the positive or straight up, okay, never mind. Um, so as we walk into that, sometimes you can have a have a um, perception that the Lord is going to do all these glorious things in the church, so there won't be any difficulty, or so there won't be. Um, trouble and that's his ways are a lot higher than our ways and he does things way differently than we do um, and or than we would um, we'd want to choose or whatever so part of um, tying it back in with intercession like as we see Jesus's vision for the church and what we're contending for and what we're desiring to see him have like to know that the, there are real things that we learn about every Saturday night that will impact the church and and will be things that we agree with Jesus in praying the church through and when we see the difficulties instead of thinking that the Lord has like abandoned us and isn't answering or isn't going to do what he said because all of a sudden things look difficult like um, to know that that's part of his plan and he's still at work in the midst of that um, yeah so Matthew 24 verse 21 talks about the days leading up to Jesus's return it being such a, a time of such great trouble that had not happened since the day, like the beginning of time. And so it really is the most difficult and troublesome times. And even that gives us, gives us a variety of like, um, 
we're not just praying that the church for the church in the midst of like an average generation we're praying and contending for the church to come into her destiny in the midst of a troublesome and difficult generation and um, just the importance of having intercessors and being faithful in the place of prayer in that context where there are so many dynamics that can um, tear out the church and um you know, the, the great falling away and the difficult times. Um, so yeah, one of the contexts where, one of the dynamics is, as Jesus talked about in the parable of the wheat and the tears, like there's gonna be increasing wickedness on the earth, even as there is increasing righteousness and even as the church is growing to maturity, so as there's the deep darkness covering the earth as, Isaiah 60 talks about, and then at that point, um, and then in the midst of it, the glory of the Lord will arise over his people. So the great darkness, but also the great glory of the Lord um, arising in the midst of that. So there is, the tear is growing up, and um, there is so many implications of what it's gonna look like to live on earth on the planet when like rebellion against God comes to its fullness and all the implications of that against in our daily life um, even even beyond direct persecution like when people are living only to love for themselves and um, walking in violence and having like no like casting off the laws of the Lord Psalm 2 of like raging against the Lord that type of culture where the love of most grows cold is gonna create dynamics that are very difficult for just daily life beyond our, even beyond direct persecution. Um, Second Timothy three, verse five, uh, one through five, kind of paint a, quite the picture. It said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. <clears throat> having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people <clears throat> and so um, yeah these are the people that we're going to be discipling people out of and um, reaching the lost in this context and living and walking with Jesus in the context of people around us uh, walking in that increasing darkness. And so we're going to need the Lord all the more in the midst of the great darkness um, to be able to stand. <clears throat> Another aspect of um, the pressure and time dynamics is the increase of persecution um, worldwide. Like there is are currently people who are experiencing great persecution for their, their faith and their love for Jesus, but it isn't currently 
full-blown all across the globe, and there's going to be a day Jesus said that we'd be hated by all nations for his sake. Um, And so that's going to be an an increasing pressure. There's different levels of it, like the culture, the nation's starting to rage against the Lord, and it might not look like martyrdom all the time in every, like, moment or in, in um, even in every area at every um, um, different season in in the process of the like the persecution I- increasing um, but then there's going to be the Harlot Babylon system and in um, I think it's Revelation 18 that talks about like the blood of all the saints were in Babylon like she has shed the blood of all the saints um, and so Harlot Babylon systems, like there's going to be tons of persecution in that, and then of course when the Antichrist comes on the scene, there's going to be um, that very concentrated um, persecution directly tied to Satan's rage for being cast out of heaven. And um, but in the midst of that, even though it's intended for evil, they're wanting to completely crush and get rid of the church like that's not going to happen the church is going to be refined through that and um, even be a testimony of the worth of Jesus in the midst of it because of not loving our lives unto death death and saying like he's better Um, revelate or I guess Daniel 11 33 through 35 says that those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. But when they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. So it talks here about the like those who are wise, those who are walking with the Lord, there is going to be that persecution coming, but ultimately the Lord is bringing forth the church um, into being more refined and more purified as the loyalty to, te- to Jesus is tested. And sometimes in those moments of, of pressure where it's like, are you going to be all in? That kind of solidifies um, that solidifies like your love and your resolve for Jesus. And then the great falling away. There is going to be like the Lord is going to preserve so many of his people, but there is going to be a great falling away. Um, second te- Thessalonians 2 verse 3 says, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And then Jesus also spoke about that um, in Matthew 24, verse 10 through 12. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So there's going to be 
um, a number of dynamics in the culture and in all that's happening that will cause many to stumble and fall away from the Lord. Um, and kind of the the kind of the they're not the only, but some of the main hindrances or things that end up lead, um, being a stumbling block that causes people to fall away is if you get um, wrapped up into to fear, offense, lust, or deception up at IHOP, they like to say fold, F-O-L-D, like fear, offense, lust, and deception, and those three things are the, or four things are what is going to try to get you to fold and to crumble under the pressure. And so just in the moments of, um, like it's the subtle compromise is in the subtle, like letting things get in between you and Jesus that ultimately lead to that. It's not, it's like the increase of wickedness in culture. If, um, the church isn't growing in maturity and growing in love for Jesus and going all after him, um, there's going to be, and if um, it's like you have to be either all in for Jesus or you can, um, there's that ability to be swept away. Um, but in the midst of this, Jesus is committed to bring us to maturity. Jesus is committed to his bride. And so obviously, like in the place of intercession, we have a place. But before really going into that, I want to just like talk about Jesus's place as like our great high priest and the one who is firstly committed to an accession, like we're um, into bringing, to working in the church to, to make us ready. Um, like he's, he's the one who's, who's doing it. And as friends of the bridegroom, we're not like coming alongside him or we, we are coming alongside him and partnering with him in what he's already doing and already committed to do. We're not um, having to be like, a hero and come in and do what Jesus is unwilling or unable to do. Like we're coming alongside him, um, and so it's it's important um, just so we have proper perspective to keep before us before us um, Jesus's commitment to the church, and even in this paradigm of knowing and and just keeping before us that Jesus is committed to bring the church through the coming days. Um, like as we have that before us, we can operate in peace and confidence and faith that we're that like he's really wanting to move and he really is able to, really able to and really will. So Jesus, or in Hebrews seven twenty five, talks about Jesus as the great high priest. It says. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who came to God, those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. And Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father, and he's always living to intercede. His Father loves him and always hears him. His Father, he has his Father's ear, and so not only does she, does he have does he always live to intercede? But like, the father is gonna give him what he wants, and the father is gonna uh, respond. And something that's like so sweet about Jesus is that, like, he's 
always had the father's, father's love and affections from before creation. Um, but he chooses to use his privilege in his position before the father like for our sakes. Um, and so even when he was, you know, when he became a man and took the form of a bondservant, Philippians 2, and didn't um, count equality with God as a, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and gave himself for us. Um, he used his privilege then, but he's also using his privilege before the Father now for us, and that the fact that he has such close access to the Father, and he's brought us into that that same access, but he uses his own access um, for our sakes to intercede for us. Another promise is that um, Jesus will be with us even to the end of the age. So Matthew 28, verse 20, um, says here in the context of the Great Commission, and Jesus said, and surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. And then in John 14, verse 16 through 18, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But Jesus has promised, like, not only, will, not only is he at the right hand of the Father, um, interceding for us, but he's given us his spirit and he's going to be, f he is physically, like not physically, but through his spirit actually here with us and um, living and active in our lives and able to help us um, through and um, never far away. So he's committed um, to working in us, like the, it's the, his present, his Holy Spirit that actually does like the internal work of um, transforming the church and bringing us into the place of um, being ready for Jesus's return. And so, not only like do we have the all that's been given since Pentecost, but like there's going to be a, a end times extra, like there's going to be more um, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh in the last days it, um, as Joel um, 2, 28 talks about um, and then another aspect of um, Jesus's commitment to the church or kind of an outworking of it is that he washes, nourishes and cherishes his bride so he's there in the nitty-gritty and in all the, um, like, actually doing the work of bringing the transformation and making us ready. And so um, I'll read Ephesians 5, 25 through... 
27 and 29, it talks about Jesus' care for the church. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. <clears throat> After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. And then when um, Jesus was with his disciples, he washed their feet. And it's really the the same um, thing that he, he does now for the church, and it will be doing like he washes us with the water of his word he keeps speaking his truth over us and he cherishes us tells us the way he cares for us and loves us um and he's he knows our weakness and our frailty and our need for him and he's committed to be there in the process of bringing us into maturity as a holy blameless and radiant bride So he knows exactly what we need um, to grow into maturity and confidence in his love. Finally, the um, he, uh, D on verse or on page seven, Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling. Um, Jude one twenty four through twenty five. It it's in the context of. Um, the end times uh, in the passage it, it's talking about um, dynamics of the end times and people falling away or some, something along the lines of just the pressure he said to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Father, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Jesus is the one who's able to keep us from stumbling when we look at these um, things that are coming and look at our family, how they might affect us or our families. Like We can have confidence that Jesus is the one who's able to keep us from stumbling. He has a wisdom to lead us if, we're going to, if we will listen to him, if we will lean into him. And it's really when... The, um, like as long as we keep reaching for him, as long as we keep leaning into him and abiding him in him, he's able to keep us. And it's not like we have to be frightened. We need to be sober, but not frightened and um, frenzied about, oh, will we make it like the Lord is able to keep us. And even in Romans 14, verse 4, it talks about um, a weak, weak believer um, and... 
who didn't have the faith to eat, who only had, had faith only to eat vegetables, but the, um, just the context of how the Lord treats a weak believer and what the, um, Paul understood to be the Lord's heart is he, he said, who are you to judge another's, someone else's servant? To their own master, servant, stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So the Lord is able to take even the weakest one and make them stand. Um, um, as long as you know, as long as the heart is sincere in love for Jesus, and um, yeah. So now, um, our place as intercession, as intercessors, um, as friends of the bridegroom, walking with Jesus, partnering with Him to see Him have His vision um, and have His inheritance, to have His desires. Um, and knowing that those, like there's going to be difficulties through which those things come to pass. And then that Jesus, Jesus is really going to be in the midst of it. So now we're, we're coming alongside Jesus. We do it all the time here um, in intercession. And um, just, uh, I guess, a quick like intercession point, like, we or point on intercession is um, that of course like the lord is sovereign and almighty and he doesn't need us but he's chosen to partner with us and he's chosen to bring us into the storyline he wants us uh, partnering with him um, and so one of the major ways that he brings us into partnership is in intercession jesus is looking for friends who will, who will come alongside even like in the garden to watch and pray with him um, and to be studied through the night. Um, John 15, verse 16, so it, um, in this passage, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you <coughs> that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So Jesus chose us to partner with him. He chose us to, come, to be his and to come alongside him, and so we don't have to have this idea like, wait, do I really have a place, you know, like we have, can have confidence and boldness before the throne that he wants us there um, with him, and he wants us partnering um, with him, he's invited us, and he wants us to have to bear fruit through intercession. Um, that whatever we ask in his name, the Father would give. So, um, a so in, in um, Psalm two verse eight, uh, the Father at, tells the Son, tells Jesus to ask, and that he would give the nations as his inheritance, and the ends of the earth as his possession. And so Jesus is invited by the Father to ask, but then we're given that same in invitation um, to enter in in partnership with Jesus. Jesus said to us, um, said in Matthew 7, verse 7, 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then in John 15, verse 7, Jesus said, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So Jesus said, if, if we abide in him, if his words remain in, in us, that then we would ask whatever we wish and it would be done. And so I, I, I feel like a lot of like our authority and in intercession comes through, I mean, it comes through abiding in Jesus and it comes, comes through entering into his promises, coming alongside him and um, praying for the things that are on his heart. So, uh, eight, page eight, verse. Um, intercession through the lens of friendship. Intercession is really about friendship with Jesus. It's not about robotically praying through a prayer list or going through the motions, but it's really, it is about leaning into his heart and knowing what's what he wants and what he desires um, and knowing that he's looking more for a friend than for someone who will just mindlessly repeat words over and over in order to, he doesn't need the amount of um, signatures on his petition to the Father to get it heard. Like, he's looking for friends who will walk in agreement and not just like, okay, uh, this is over. Um, so Matthew 6, verse 7, along that point, he said, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard of their many words. Um, and then, uh, in John 16, verse 24, Jesus said, Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. Or until now you have not asked for anything in my name. And then ask and you'll receive. And your joy will be complete. So not only is Jesus wanting us to be with him in the place of intercession and that he would have friends, but that we would experience the joy of friendship with him as we see um, him responding to the prayers that we pray in agreement with his heart, and that then our joy is made full as we realize like he's really, it's, it's both ways where we're walking in friendship and partnership, and he's actually doing things in responding when we pray. Um, so, um, yeah, and then when we're praying through this lens of being friends of the bridegroom, being his friends, it, there is, it brings us deeper into the knowledge of him because we keep, I mean, it, if you're in the place of prayer and you're seeking for revelation of his heart, he's going to give you more um, revelation and it's going to draw you nearer to him. And then as, in, then as you receive more revelation, it's going to make you want is you know give yourself even more to that um to interceding and partnering with him
And so taking this um, ability or like the, that the Lord has invited us into intercession, he wants us to partner in intercession. We do it all the time, um, but just refreshing the vision maybe. Um, is that there's the intercession for the bride to be made ready and for Jesus to receive his inheritance really can be used a vision for so many things that are, um, for like, for so many things that we pray all the time. Like, it doesn't have to be a prayer, the prayer set specifically for the church to be ready. Like, there are so many things that we pray that, praying for the church in Afghanistan, that they would be strengthened to endure and that they would, um, you know, that the, there would be harvest in the midst of this time. Things like that is praying for Jesus to have his inheritance and his bride. Um, and so there are so many things that can kind of be just tied into that overall vision and the big picture. Um, so yeah, a lot of what we pray around here is often connected to this as the ultimate goal, We even if we don't use the language. Um, but if we carry this vision and just keep it before us, like it, in the midst of the, the monotony of going through, like day after day after day, it's helpful for me to just remind myself, like, of the big picture and where it's all going, um, and what the Lord is, um, like, what's on His heart, what He's, um, what's His vision for us to be partnering with Him. Um, And laboring towards him. Just wanted to point out a few things on just our, our four revival prayer topics that we pray all the time and just how they tie into the vision of Jesus receiving his inheritance and how we can come alongside Jesus in partnership with him. And obviously you don't have to pray in these with this language, but just how it ties in. Um, that, like, the, a third great awakening, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is um, kind of twofold. The church being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and coming into a place of deeper partnership with Jesus and being conformed to his image by, like, the greater activity of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives. Um, but then the aspect of people being brought into the kingdom by the um, Holy Spirit um, drawing people. And so um, Jesus received, you know, third great awakening, Jesus receiving greater quantity and quality in his bread. Um, spiritual hunger, um, just praying for the church to, to long for Jesus and love him more than anything else and be connected to reaching for the things of his kingdom um, and just um, to re to be positioned in a place to receive all that the Lord would want to give us um, in order to grow into all that he um, desires for us. <coughs> and sober mind is sober-mindedness, praying for sober-mindedness, that the church would walk in a manner worthy of her calling and not be swept away in the great falling away, that we would be preserved blameless, that we would be um, kept, and that we would just have the sobriety to, to recognize our need to lean into the Lord and 
have clarity. Um, spirit of revelation, just that we would know Jesus and his purposes better in order that we would grow in love and par in partnership with him as his bride. Um, and lastly, I want to just do a quick browse through a few of the apostolic prayers and just talk about how they um, they are helpful towards this end. As I talked about earlier, like Paul was a man who carried the heart of a friend of the bridegroom and he was um, his passion and his desire was to see Jesus receive the church be the um, and Jesus receive the church in the fullness of who she's meant to be. And so all of these prayers that we pray all the time are just such a great on-ramp um, to finding the language of not only um, kind of language that helps bring us towards the vision of um, being friends of the bridegroom as intercessors, but also strategies of like what does the church actually need in order to come into her fullness and into um, maturity and uh, yeah so we already pray them all the time I just want to emphasize the gift that they are to us um, as we engage in intercession as friends of the bridegroom so um Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. Really just, you know, that the church would have the spirit of revelation in order to know God better, but also to understand who they are as Jesus' inheritance. One of the phrases highlighted um, is that we would know the hope to which he's called us and the riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people. So part of... Um, the church receiving the spirit of him praying for the church to receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation was so that she would understand her identity as the bride of Christ, as Jesus's inheritance, and know the way that Jesus feels about it. Um, so we would know the way Jesus feels about us. Um, and then in Ephesians 3, worship leader, if you could come on up. In Ephesians 3, Paul prayed that the Ephesians would be strengthened with might through God's spirit in their inner man. Um, and really in this, his, and then he says, like, and to be filled with all the fullness of God, to know the width and length and depth and height of the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Um, him interceding that the church would know um, the way she's loved by God in order that she'd be filled with all the fullness of God and be strengthened to endure, strengthened um, to be steadfast through the coming days. Um, and so there are... Um, yeah, and to have the inner reality of deep fellowship with Jesus. Um, so praying along these lines of the, the church having this... Um, deep revelation of Jesus' love. And then, and then Philippians 1, 9 through 11 is another prayer, very much along the lines, but does have the phrase um, to be pure and blameless um, in the, for the day of Christ. 
And so that, that vision still in the prayer of all these things so that you may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Um, and then Colossians 1, 9 through 11, and these are just a few um, prayers, but that the church would be able to walk worthy of the Lord, to have the spirit, um, wisdom and spiritual understanding, to be able to bear good fruits. So these prayers are really, and there's so many other phrases in them, even though I didn't highlight it, but so many aspects of these um, apostolic prayers that we pray all the time, just that give us insight into what's in the heart of Jesus for his bride, and not only that, but um, what what does it take for the church to come into maturity? What is needed? Um, and so, yeah, I'll pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you invite us into partnership with you. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.